1: I'd like to introduce you to one of our newest sponsors, FunkyChunky.com. What is Funky Chunky? Funky Chunky is a website that sells a lot of different things, but it basically deals with popcorn. Great tasting variety type popcorn. They sent me uh, a a gift bag and uh, of five different types, and my family and I, we ate them within about five minutes of getting them. My favorite was the chocolate pretzels. They don't only have popcorn, they have pretzels. This chocolate pretzels, let me tell you about this crunchy, salty pretzels laced with chewy, gooey caramel and a ton of chocolatey decadence make our chocolate pretzels mix so outright irresistible. Let me say that no one else got a hold of that. Got a hold of that. No one else did. But some of them ate the sea salt caramel popcorn that they had available. The peanut butter cup. Popcorn, which I thought was very well, were very well made. And Chip Zell Pop, which has potato chips and caramel and pretzels and chocolatey drizzle, and the nutty cocoa pop, which I thought was awesome as well. I didn't find one that I didn't like. But you know, if you say, well, what's your favorite? My favorite would be the chocolate pretzels. So if you want to get a get a look at this and, and give them a go, go to funkychunky.com. I'm telling them that Jeremy McFarlane from the Football's Family Podcast sent you. And we'd like to welcome everybody back to the Football's Family Podcast. And I am, uh, I'm actually kind of intrigued about this because I'm looking at the book and we got the author of this particular book on the show tonight. So I'll let him introduce himself and in the book as well, if you would, please.
0: Uh, my name is David Neal Drews and I've written Iron Tigers, a novel inspired by the team that conquered Dixie and launched mm-hmm. southern football. It's uh it's a work of historical fiction. I've uh, blended the facts of the 1899 Swanee football team for those who don't know the universe, uh, University of South Swanee as it's better known is uh in the cumberland mountains uh not far from chattanooga about 55 miles and uh, their 1899 team uh in the midst of a 12 game season went on a 2500 mile road trip by train and they shut out five bigger schools in six days uh the first they rode the train for a, a day and a half, and they arrived in Austin. And the next day, they shut out the Longhorns. Uh, actually, they weren't the Longhorns at that point, but they shut out Texas, 12 to nothing. Got on the train that night after uh, after going to a, a ball that the German club, the Texas German club, uh, threw in their honor uh, at <laughs> so like around midnight they got on a train they went to houston they shut out texas a&m 10 to nothing got on a train that night shut out tulane 23 to nothing and uh took a day off and then they went to baton rouge shut out lsu 34 to nothing and got on a train the next day uh played Ole miss and actually memphis and they shut out Ole miss 12 to nothing and then they went back to the mountain and uh they had three more play games to play for the rest of the season. Um, it's never it was never obviously had never been done and never will be done. Uh, you know, if uh, I think the shortest amount of time the NCAA allows a team to play in between games, I, I want to say four days. Um, does that sound right? Uh, you're, you're more of an expert than I am. I'm more of a pro guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, you can play a Saturday and a Thursday. So that's one, two, that's four days of rest. Um so yeah so I read about I'm fascinated by the early history of any of, of many particular sports uh it can be uh cycling it could be uh baseball uh football to a great extent I've been I've been obsessed with the early years of football and the forming of the NFL in the 20s since I was a kid really um But just, you know, golf, badminton, I'm just fascinated with how a sport began, how it evolved rules, uniforms, equipment. Um, And I'm also a big American history buff, so, uh, and particularly Southern history. So, you know, the University of the South in 1899 doing this phenomenal, um, uh, going on this phenomenal adventure that they went on was when I found out about it, uh I I as a fiction writer, I knew I had to uh create a piece of historical fiction to bring bring their their uh season to life.
1: I passed by the University of the South every time I go to Georgia to see my family down there, and I didn't quite put Swanee and the University of the South together. Now, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at the 1899 Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association final standing, and you talk about you write historical fiction. This is got to be science fiction. It says Vanderbilt went seven and two that year. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. They w- i you, as you might know, they were formidable for a good while. They were. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Swanee and Vanderbilt were arguably the two best teams in the South through the nineties, 1890s. Um, and then you know, Vanderbil Swanee uh continued to be competitive really into the into the teens, the 19 teens. And when when they reached the 20s, football, thanks to Swanee, really, because they were at the vanguard of Southern football, and they were they did this amazing uh the, the trip and, and and accomplishment which all of a sudden uh put s- uh southern football on the map because the northeastern esta- football establishment and establishment for that matter didn't pay any attention to southern football i mean it was it it was it, was, it wasn't like they even ignored it they just um it, it, it just they they didn't even mention it that what southern football was rarely mentioned in northeastern uh, newspapers um and at that time in college football in the 1890s uh and thereafter for a while the the big 4 you know, they they weren't uh Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State and Georgia but they were Harvard, Yale, Princeton and Penn those were the four most dominant teams in the country um, and they got their start in the 1870s the first college football game was 1869 and that was Rutgers versus Princeton and um, so they weren't called the Ivy League schools yet but you know what amount well all four of those teams I just listed you know eventually were part of the Ivy League but those were the dominant teams and then the Midwestern teams got going in the 1880s and we're talking about uh the University of Chicago, which yeah. is now division, yeah, which is now division three, like Swanee is now Division Three, uh, Northwestern, um Michigan and Wisconsin, and uh those were the big four in the Midwest. They got going in the in the eighteen eighties, it got big, uh, so essentially in the Midwest. And um then the South didn't get going until 1890s. In fact, the first Southern team of of note uh, uh, didn't start till 1889, and that was the University of Virginia. Uh, Swanee didn't start till 91. Um, I'm a UT graduate, and my first collegiate football game ever was in 1970. Uh, first game I ever saw in person was 1970, Tennessee versus UCLA. So I saw my, uh, I understand you're an Alabama fan, um, but you still seem like a nice fellow. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you a story. Um,
1: I I used to grow up, you know, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and anti-Tennessee. Tennessee offered my son a. He he passed away last year, but they offered him a position, a a, a spot inside that their school, you know, that just honorary spot. So I have nothing but good things to say about the University of Tennessee.
0: Oh, well, I appreciate that. And I have heard you talk about your son before. Um, And I've got a friend who's going through that right now, three months into that. And, uh, you know, you you have my blessings. Absolutely. Thank you. But no, I know in Southern
1: football, because I grew up in Tennessee, I've lived in Alabama, Georgia. Uh, It's I've been around Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Tennessee, Vanderbilt some some Kentucky cuz I had friends who were Kentucky grads. Uh southern football seems to be rooted in people's DNA to the point that you cannot differentiate the DNA from the football. And it seems like what you're telling me what you're telling me is uh they were late we were late to the ball game. I didn't quite realize that.
0: Yeah very late very yeah late to the ball game and you know part of it was as you probably know the the, the south was in the doldrums um you know the, the, the aftermath of, of the civil war um the reconstruction period yeah uh, the economy was in ruins it still hadn't recovered um urbanization didn't really start or in an uh, in, in industrialization didn't really start in the South. It really it got going in the 1890s too, but it was we were late comers to that, and so um, the South was was beaten down. And Swanee, as you as you probably know, the University of South is a is an elite school. Um, it is uh, an expensive school, and it was founded by large slaveholders um primarily by uh an episcopal priest. Actually he was a bishop. He was a bishop in the episcopal school in the episcopal uh faith. He, Swanee is an an episcopal an episcopal affiliated school. And um he uh he was the principal f- founder and his name um was Leonis Polk and um the principles of um the found the founding of of swanee was the notion to keep elite southern well several several ideas but one of the principal ones was to keep elite southern men from going to the northeast to get their education um because you know many of many sons from very very wealthy families would go to princeton uh they'd go to penn they'd go Um, The student manager for the 1899 team, um, because that tradition continued, uh, went to Columbia for his law degree. Um, So one of the reasons why they started the school is like, you know, let's keep our future leaders, um, political leaders, business leaders, uh, social leaders. Let's keep them in the South and educate them the the way we want want them educated. Um, You know, the secularism, you know, we still have that alive today to some extent you know the, i think that um there's still i think less so now i mean i'm i'm i turned 60 next week uh, i think much less so now but you know the um the south uh you know from the war on felt like you know the northeast but also other parts of the north looked down upon the south and the south had something to prove and um it was it, it it, you know, you're talking about the DNA that it that was part of it. Let's let's uh let's let's create an elite school. In fact, they they said that the founding fathers of, of Swanee said they, they said we don't want our young men to have to go abroad, and they meant the Northeast and that also meant you know going you know across the ocean to get their education. We want them to be able to get the finest and the best here. And so they were trying to groom the heirs, what turned out to be the heirs of the old South, um, to be um southern educated gentlemen, as, as they would put it. You you bring uh, up
1: you bring up the Reconstruction, which started pretty much as soon as Abraham Lincoln passed, which was uh, was awful for the South. We probably needed him as president at that time. Uh, you started with with, Abraham, with uh, Andrew Johnson going to Grant, then on the way, probably, I would say, Reconstruction ended around 1900, something to that effect. Probably should have kept going. You're talking about uh, not only rebuilding the infrastructure, you're talking about rebuilding farms, rebuilding the life of the person who who had everything lost. But at the same time, you're talking about rebuilding the education system. Was Swanee to your best of your knowledge, and, and I apologize if, if I'm asking something that may not be on your wheelhouse, but best of your knowledge, is this one of the first colleges to really kind of stand out down south?
0: Well, I think um I think Vanderbilt stood out. Um I think that Emory and, Emory and Tulane, I, I, I think I don't know definitively when they started, but I think they were early um, prestigious schools for the South. Uh, but to get you to, to give you an idea of uh, Swanee's status, uh, in the 1890s I read in that uh, that the Vanderbilt students at that time referred to the Swanee students as the Blue Bloods of the South.
1: Vanderbilt uh, students.
0: Vanderbilt's referred to Swanee students as the blue bloods of the south. Yeah. Vanderbilt okay.
1: Students. That's that's weird.
0: Yeah. So as if as if Vanderbilt students aren't um uh um advantaged enough um and, and, and uh prestige it's not a, 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 as prestigious a school at, or it is as prestigious a school as it was and and is today they considered the Swanee uh, students to be superior. Um, and, you know, part of it was a, a jab, but also it was a recognition of the elite, very wealthy families that these, um, not all, but most of these, uh, these student athletes came from.
1: It's insane to think that that area had a school that was looked upon, and not only that, but a football powerhouse for For several years now, I'm looking at this group, 19 or 1899 Smalny Tigers. There seemed to be around 15 players. They were both they were two way players, obviously. Right. Now, again, I'm I know a little bit about football history to get myself into trouble. Was this more rugby type football or or do we have at this point what we're used to with the line of scrimmage and everything like that? I'm not really good on the dates.
0: Yeah. At this point we have the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Okay. I, know you, yeah I know, you know, the name Walter camp. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The father of college football. He brought the line of scrimmage in. I want to say. Late 1870s. Um, okay. So
1: I'm off for a few more years, but yeah, I remember what Wal- uh, Walter camp. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but it evolved. I mean, it, 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 it kept, and that's part of what's so fascinating about it to me is that it kept changing and adjusting, and and you watch the pattern as it gets cl- closer to, to uh, where we are today. But yeah, 1906, the, the forward pass was illegal until 1906. Yes. So yeah, so it was all pitching and 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 you know lateral and pitching behind you and handing off. Um, um, you had three downs to gain five yards for a first down. And as you said, as you said, you had to play both ways, because if you came out of a game, you could not return to the game. Uh, And they wanted, you know, they had substitutes. They actually referred to them as scrubs. Um, And it wasn't a derogatory term at that point, but um, they wanted to keep their 11 in there. So their 11, you know, they had to play both ways. They couldn't come off the field. Um, which of course, you know, we know today, you know, is, is a dangerous thing because everyone wants to play. Everyone wants to stay on the field. And so, you know, they're getting beaten up there, you know, out there really badly. And some of them should come off the field, but they're not, they're not, they're not giving in, um, so you had 3 downs to get 5 yards, you couldn't throw forward passes. You asked if it was more like rugby. It, you know, based on what I've described so far, yes. It sounds um, a lot
1: like rugby, yes.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds a lot like rugby. Um I don't think I I, I don't think, when you're on the sports history network, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was on um Darren Hayes uh, pigskin dispatch show uh, about two Thursdays ago and um he said you've got to listen to one of our podcasts next week um because we're having a a guy who's a PhD in England and he's an expert on rugby and he's going to talk about not just how rugby contributed to American football but also how American football Created some modifications in rugby, um, so it's fascinating. If you go back uh, and look for that, I think it. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. It's just absolutely fascinating. And Tim Brown's on there, you know, the football archaeologist guy. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was just a and in, in Darren all his knowledge it was a great three way. Um, but you know, to get back to to your question, yeah, very much like rugby, but one big difference, and the the big difference is punning. And they had punting as early as the 1870s. So you, you know, in rugby now, I don't know, I don't know if this is always been the case, but you, you know, you can't, you can't, you you're not allowed to have a forward pass, but you can punt to someone on your own team. You know, and if they catch it, um they can they can advance. But punting was a huge thing in early college football because if you think about it you know once the forward pass came into existence and 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 I know you know this that you know in 1910 if, if a team threw eight forward passes that was probably a lot you know and then 1920 right. 12 and then you know today what is it you know like in a typical NFL game a team will throw what you can get 40 or 50 easy yeah, yeah exactly so so, how do you advance the ball? How do you win the, the the game of field position if you can't throw forward passes? They did it through the punting game. The punters were arguably the most important players on the team. And what would happen was um, they would get in punting battles where one team would punt the ball to the other team, the the um the, the the um return man would catch the ball he would he would uh well actually before he caught the ball he would dig his heel he'd make a divot with his heel in the in the field uh in, in the turf he would make a divot with his heel catch the ball and because he made that divot he had to be given you know ba- basically a 5 yard free zone and he would kick very often it, he could either you know down the ball there and his team could start on offense from that point or he could kick it back and very often they would go back and forth and if they thought they had a better punter and they had a better team in terms of getting under the punts they would just keep punting until you know in, in hopes and and then of course encouraged to continue it if they were pushing the other team back against their goal line, uh, that team's goal line. And so punting was just a huge aspect of the game um, because field position was everything because you couldn't throw a forward pass. So the the fans, the fans that came out to these games, you know, today we want to see that great, you know, post route and, you know, pass being dropped in the receivers, Um, breadbasket. We want to see that. Well, back then they wanted to see spectacular punting and they did. These guys, they had a, the ball was, you know, bigger. It was like a rugby ball. Um, And because of that, they could, you know, if you miss, if you miss kicked a little bit, it was forgiving because, you know, it was somewhat like a, almost like a soccer ball, somewhere between a soccer ball and football today. Um, but they would, you know, they had spirals, even though these balls were like melons, they had spiral kicks, and the fans would ooh and ah over this uh, over the punts, and that they, they loved it when it went back and forth. Field position was so critical that there was a rule that if you if a team on offense lost 20 yards. They got a first down. If they lost 20 yards, they got a first down. Because why would you take the ball away from a team that you're pushing back and you're gaining field position on? That wouldn't go over well today. (laughs) <laughs> no no but you get the logic right yeah you know, I do I do you you can't throw forward passes so you get you know think you know you get you're you get sacked you're you know you 15 yards to go to a for a first down um but you can't throw that pass um so the team that keeps driving you backwards they want to keep doing that because they want to get as close to their goal line it's field position it's all field position uh it is today and it was then but different means to uh, gain it
1: this is this is fascinating. this is stuff that you can only learn from people who have delved into a topic like this and and, and David uh, just got a few more minutes that I want to run run by you on a couple of things um how long did it take you to to research and get this book together five years five years and five years the labor of love wasn't it absolutely absolutely now these guys right here. Uh-huh. I'm looking at them. 15 guys, they don't look very big at all.
0: The average audience. weight, average weight, 169 pounds. The biggest guy was 6'2, 200. Well, that's a no, big dude. No, no, he was six feet 190. Six feet 190. Okay. okay. Yeah. But the, the smallest guy was 126. He was an and a gymnast, and he was one of their best football players. Um, but 169 was even a small team average for back then. So they were small. You're right.
1: But that probably helped with their conditioning and with their ability to do what they did so many days in a row.
0: Uh, being fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned conditioning. Swanee at that time, uh, they didn't take summers off. The students went to school during the summer and they took winter off. So, their summer vacation was during the winter months because the, the weather was so treacherous up there and, um, you know, heating wasn't as efficient and um, as, as comfortable as it is today. So, they would go home during the, the, you know, the icy winter months and the other schools were in school or, or sorry, were not at school during the summer and Suwannee was. So they would start conditioning for f- conditioning for football in July. And so they had a head start. That was one advantage that this team did have over these uh, these bigger schools that they they shut up, they shut out. They shut out all five.
1: Now, did you go to the uh, to Swanee to the uh, University of the South
0: for any of this? Yes, I did. I went to the archives. And um, they've digitized a great amount of materials. So at home, I was also able to continue my research. And the, my best primary resource or primary source, this is so cool. The, this, <laughs> the student manager was this guy named Luke Lee. In my novel, he's, quote unquote, played by Alfie Melville. The student manager was really the prototype. For not just the future athletic department, but the future, or not just the future athletic director, but really the department. He did everything. The scheduling, um the finances, uh, getting approvals from the administration, everything down to when they went on this road trip. He wanted two barrels of the school's water supply put on the train so the players wouldn't get dysentery. So you think about all you know at the major schools now. Yeah, you think about all of the uh, you know the, how many people are involved in nutrition, food, etc. Oh, yeah. For the for yeah for the play for the teams today. This guy was named Luke Lee. Real quickly. I'm Luke Lee. This guy was, he was, he was committed to Southern football becoming a vehicle for the resurrection of Southern manhood. And he wanted Swanee, his team, his school, to be at the vanguard of that. One, one he wanted Swanee to take the lead. And so that's why he did this. One of the reasons why he did this insane, he put together this insane road trip. Um, but I'm losing where I was talking about Luke Lee. Um, can you bring me back to your question? I apologize.
1: I'm just listening. I'm just looking at him, uh, Colonel in the U.S. Army, fought World War Two or World War One, I, I should say. Mm-hmm. Senator for for Tennessee
0: at the age of 32. At the age of 32. Yeah, he was audacious. He really was. There, there was nothing he didn't try to do. He even tried to kidnap, you're not going to believe this, but it is it, documented. Uh 5 days after the after World War 1 ended, he and uh, a few other officers uh went on an unauthorized mission to kidnap the Kaiser to bring him to Paris to stand trial for war crimes. <laughs> He wanted to kidnap Kaiser Wilhelm. Yep, and bring him back to stand tra- trial for war crimes. This guy, I mean, and so he's a twenty-year-old, and this is his, this is his first foray into the world doing just what's daring and reckless. um, Adventures. I mean, you know, who goes after the U.S. Senate, the age thirty-two? Even back then, um, who goes and tries to to uh, kidnap uh, the, the Kaiser, uh, the instigator of the First World War? Um, but he, this was his. This was like his warm-up for those for those um, efforts. I, you just got to keep in mind. He put those his classmates on a train for 2, For 2,500 miles, it was a nine day trip. But in the middle of that, they played five teams in six days. Um, again, he wanted to do something spectacular. He wanted to make money. Swanee was having a hard time as a school getting getting uh, students to come up there, um, and and the South in the South, the state schools weren't rolling yet either because. Education just wasn't a priority yet, but these New South guys, you know, these New South young adults, they wanted education to be part of the New South. They wanted to be that, and they wanted an emphasis on that. And they felt like um, that was also something that football could do. And you know, you talk about the DNA—something that football could do to draw more Southerners to the state schools, and uh, in addition to Swanee, which was having a hard time. They needed money. They needed money to build the football program. So he's going all the way to Austin. He's going to pick up games on the way back so he can make more money for the program in the school. And this all ties back to your original college football team, the Vanderbilt Commodores, because Swanee and Vandy had – they were they were rivals. And Swanee rarely got a team to come up on the mountain because it was a school of 326 um, students, all male. And um, so there was really no gate to be had. Um, so you, you you bring your team all the way up there and they're not making that much money. So Swanee always went to play Vanderbilt uh, on Thanksgiving. And of course, Nashville. They would get in, you know, Vanderbilt, um, you know, I don't know how many times bigger than Swanee at that time, but I'm I'm sure several, uh, like the rest of the schools were, that they played. Vanderbilt would, that game would bring out five, 6,000 people, which was a huge crowd back then. Um, that was a big crowd. And so money was to be made by Vanderbilt. Money was to be made by Swanee. Uh, in 1898, Swanee beat Vanderbilt. Um, football experts considered Vanderbilt Vanderbilt and Virginia as the two best teams at that time in the South. I would argue that Swanee was better. They certainly were better um, in 1899, but um, there is argument that they were the best in 1898 even. But in the 1898 game, um Swanee, Swanee, of course, played in Nashville. And then when it came time, leading up to the fall 1899 season, Luke Lee was in negotiations with the Vanderbilt student manager. And Luke Lee felt that the revenue sharing structure was unfair towards Swanee and that Swanee wasn't getting as much money from the game as they should. And then I also read somewhere that well, somebody speculated that um, that Luke Lee felt that not only did they get cheated by not getting enough of not at the before you know before the game not uh, not uh, getting a, a, an agreement where Swanee got enough of the of of the share, but at least one source speculated that Luke Lee also feel felt like they um, cheated Swanee at the gate. They didn't. Give them the revenues that they actually were due. Oh. so he's in, yeah, so he's in negotiations with Vanderbilt to set up the fall eighteen ninety nine game and um they reach an impasse and uh so Luke Lee and he and he's the son of Nashville um um big I, I know you know the Bell Mead neighborhood, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his family owned that land. And uh, eventually started that development. Um, for those of our listeners who d- aren't familiar with Nashville, this is the oldest money um, neighborhood, a pretty good-sized neighborhood in Nashville. Correct, correct me if I, I've missed Oh, it is. It is. Nice. It. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is Nashville, his, his hometown, his father's in banking. They're landed. Um, they, you know, they they own slaves. Um you know, obviously, you know, uh, up to the Emancipation Act, but he, he you know, that was another bold move by Luke Lee, um, and he's like, okay, we're not, we're not going to play you, Vandy. Well, that was their biggest um, uh, money-earning opportunity every year to go to Nashville and this have this big game on Thanksgiving. So he's like, well, we're going to go out to Texas. We went out there last year. Um, we didn't pick up any games on the way back, but this year we're going to. So he had he had a dual or at least two main purposes. He wanted to do something spectacular to launch the south as a football um, region. He wanted the Northeast to pay attention to the South, start paying attention to the South. Knew he had to do something that would make the papers. And uh shutting out five teams in six days, nobody was doing that anywhere. Um, so uh yeah. Well, we got a just uh,
1: just a couple more minutes. Thank you for being on here. This is absolutely fascinating. Where can they get your book?
0: Okay, so folks can go to uh, Amazon and in the search bar put in Iron Tigers Drews Diaz and David R E W S, and you can also go to Book Baby, which um, they uh, they provide. They provide more, they provide uh better royalties for the authors. Um, but if Amazon's your place, then yeah, please go there. But Book Baby, you just put in Iron tiger. So Amazon put in Iron Tigers Drew's and at Book Baby put in uh, Iron Tigers. Um, you can also go to my website, which is irontigersfootball.com, irontigersfootball.com. There's a 90-second uh quote unquote movie trailer. Uh that uh that uh we had created um which is a you know coming attractions style uh video for the book there you go yep that's that's the that's the uh we will
1: i will put this on the uh episode description i'll put all these listings there so all you have to do is just look on the show description and follow where can they follow you david on
0: uh on twitter Uh, put in David Neil Drews. I don't know my actual handle. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick here for you. I have
1: it, it's just not in front of me.
0: Okay, here, here, I can get it. Uh, profile. Okay, it's at Drews Diaz and David R E W S Neil N E I L, and then number one.
1: All right, we'll have that on there as well. Uh, my, Like I said, uh, f- uh, Zoom is about to kick me off. Thank you, David, for
0: getting on and telling us about this. And uh, I will make sure people know how to get a hold of your book. Thank you, Jeremy. I hope you enjoy the read, and um, I appreciate your show. And um, it's it's been really good to talk to you.
1: Thank you, buddy. Thank you all for listening to Football's Family.
0: Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear and if you didn't know it already we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics in fact here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network join george bozica the president of the pfra and myself john bozica each month